welcome back to Leaders of Color, a podcast by Leading in Color. I'm your host, Sarisha Iyer. On today's episode, we have Jathusha Mahantharajan. Jathusha is a human rights educator, mental health advocate, and social innovator who works with young people to help them build a strong sense of purpose tied to social justice values and builds their capacity in civic leadership. In 2016, she created Ontario's very first chapter for Girl Talk a girls mentoring program where middle school mentees and high school mentors alike supported each other in building confidence, leadership skills, navigating mental health challenges, and participating in community service. The following year, she founded Light, Lead, Inspire, Grow, Hope, and Transform, a youth-led grassroots organization in New York region that has equipped nearly 250 people to design, implement, and evaluate their own informed social change projects through intensive year-long training and fellowship programs. Light has also engaged over 300 young people as mentors, conference leaders, tutors, camp volunteers, and reading buddies. All of these young people have in turn educated and empowered hundreds of their peers, tens of thousands of young people online, and some even went on to start their own independent initiatives. Jathusha has also worked with Youth Rex Research and Evaluation Exchange in designing and delivering capacity building workshops and webinars on youth-adult partnerships across Ontario, and has also interned with Status of Women Canada. Currently, she is a policy intern at the Public Policy Forum. Her advocacy work has been honored through many awards, including being selected as a global team leader by the We Are Family Foundation, a Terry Fox humanitarian, and a TD scholar for community leadership. Jathusha has also spoken to or performed spoken word poetry to over 25,000 people in Canada and the United States. In addition to being a fourth year student in human rights and equity studies at York University, she enjoys exploring new food spots, spending time with her cousins, and watching sci-fi shows. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And the podcast is such an important and crucial resource for a lot of young people out there who don't see themselves represented in leadership spaces. So thank you so much for um, having this uh, initiative in the first place. So I'd love to hear more about the work that you're doing with Light and how all of this came about. We heard a little bit about it in your in your bio, but please expand on, on what that looks like. Yeah, so when I was growing up, I often thought that the only people who could, you know, help our communities do better were white people. Maybe it was the fact that a lot of my teachers were white, but also in my community, um, it was also mainly white people who were taking leadership. So when I was in high school and I was engaging in different volunteer opportunities, I was always participating on a minimal scale at the end of a big project, right? So what that really does is it takes the sense of civic responsibility away. And the work that I did often required like minimal to no skills. For example, like we were, we would be assigned to do like one repetitive task and it didn't teach us like valuable, transferable knowledge and skills for the 21st century workforce. And so it really helped me understand that it's not that today's young people don't care about social change and that we're not, you know, politically engaged, but we aren't being meaningfully engaged in like innovative ways outside of traditional structures. And we're not educated or equipped to organize and be a part of the solution. So that's where a lot of, uh, you know, my drive comes from. And so that's why I created Light, a space where youth get to design, implement, and evaluate their own informed, equitable programming for their communities. And I know that a lot of the times as racialized newcomer or like low-income youth, sometimes at our home, 
there's not much encouragement or support to pursue these activities related to civic duty or social action, right? Because sometimes the focus is on school and employment. Like I remember my parents would tell me when I was engaging in a lot of community work that, you know, if I didn't maintain a certain average in school, that I wouldn't be able to participate in all of those um, extracurriculars. So that's why it's really important that, you know, we have a space that initiates rich and honest dialogue about topics that may not be discussed at home, right? Whether that's male violence against women, racial profiling, or um, looking at uh, indigenous relations. So in school, we don't learn critically about these social issues. So that's why it's so important that we provide this education in order for young people to be able to articulate their lived experiences and name their oppressions, which then lead them to challenge power and privilege by reaffirming their own capabilities through different initiatives. A lot of the skills that we're teaching young people when it comes to research, critical thinking, conflict resolution, project event management, but also like other more creative skills such as emotional intelligence or capacity building in community-centered ways. That's the reason why I think uh, I do the work that I do because it's a gap in our communities that I see constantly missing. We see youth tokenism and decoration all around us. And I think even if there's the brand name of youth engagement, it's not being done in a way that is a completely meaningful experience for uh, young people. And that's providing them different levels to engagement. So what do you think schools or education systems should do when it comes to this sort of work? Because you're currently filling a gap where that's not something that's able to happen in the classroom, clearly. And and in our homes often. Do you think there's a way that educators could incorporate this work into their everyday teaching? Yeah, I definitely agree uh, that they could, right? Like the education system itself needs a huge reform. There's already traditional power dynamics existing between staff and students, teachers and students. And so if we want to engage young people on a meaningful level, that is it you know, youth-adult partnership, we need to challenge these power systems that are existing in the first place, right? How are you engaging student voice in your school? And oftentimes, you know, we hear student voice all across education um, systems, but what they really are talking about is, you know, we'll hear young people, but are we actually listening? Are there ideas being brought alive and brought to the table? Do we actually see changes happening in the school community? There's schools and, uh, you know, school boards should be investing in young people. Perhaps there could be even a fund that is set up um, where, you know, youth could pitch ideas and they could get small amounts of funds, whether that's like $200 to run small projects in their communities. But they also need to be given, uh, you know, the skills and the training. So Essentially, there needs to be a whole infrastructure set up in order to support young people. So the mentorship, we want to be able to uh, give them training um, that, you know, you're actually paying qualified people to teach. And then you want to be able to support them through the process of, you know, delivering on that social justice initiative. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of like needing this whole overall of infrastructure in order to produce um, the sort of content in our schools. And as a result, that's why we get organizations like yours that are required almost to fill in this gap. Um, I want to go back to what you said about tokenization and youth engagement. Um, I definitely feel that a lot. I think that's something um, that a lot of people look at youth as like this key demographic based on our size or like millennials and Gen Z, but then at the same time, don't really take us as seriously as Mm -hmm. they should. 
place on that side. Yeah. Um, and so for somebody like me, I'm about to turn 25. Next year, I'll be 26. I run a youth organization, but I'm soon going to age out of that youth yeah. sort of stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I'm very conscious about. Yeah. Um, how do you see the role of like older adults, I guess, working with youth in a way that isn't tokenizing? And how do you balance that in your organization? In our organization, I mean, uh, I guess I'm the oldest person and I just turned 21. So everybody else is uh, younger than that. Um, so I haven't aged out yet and nobody else has. But our main demographic is high school students and like undergrad students. So um, staying within that age range uh, is super important to us. I really related to what you were saying about youth tokenism. I don't know about you, if you have been on like uh, youth councils, but you know, there's <laughs> so many youth councils out there. Right. And like every organization seems to have a youth engagement initiative, but it's so important that the youth engagement initiatives that are being run are completely designed by youth too. Right. Sometimes it's already designed by adults and then the youth are, you know, part of a larger structure that the adults are the ones who have designed. Right. So I think it goes against the whole youth engagement mantra in the first place when it's uh, set up to not really serve the interests of young people in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Are there challenges that you faced in doing this sort of work? So tokenism is obviously one of them. um, But are there any other challenges that have come up? Oh, yeah, so much. Um, You know, I would say like when I was initially starting out, so we started this organization back in 2016 of March. And, you know, during that time, we didn't have any sort of funding or anything. So I remember, uh, you know, a huge barrier to doing this work is funding is, you know, being able to gain access to free space uh, in our community, uh, mentorship, and sometimes it's even that confidence in our own abilities that we are leaders and that we can be, you know, social change agents in our communities. I remember going to a meeting actually with one of my adult uh, allies for Light. And, uh, you know, we went to set up this partnership uh, with this organization. And in the first meeting where this adult ally was there, the meeting went really well. The organization was really receptive and they were on board. And the second time when I went, it was just me and another fellow young person who was on the team and our adult ally couldn't make it. But the second meeting was completely the opposite of the first meeting. They were giving us unreasonable like expectations. Like they wanted us to do programming every single day during school hours. And we were all high school students and they knew that that was unreasonable, but they just were trying to push things that were unreasonable just because our adult ally wasn't there. So I definitely saw a huge difference between like if there's an adult in the room advocating and almost taking liability for our work versus us going by ourselves and trying to pitch our work and our capabilities to an organization. So that is definitely a huge uh, you know, barrier, right? And I think a lot of adults are also limited by the idea of childhood, right? Like what was their experience of childhood? What was their experience of being a teen or a young person? That limits what they believe that, you know, young people today are capable of or what children today are capable of. So I think that is a a, a huge challenge to the work. And definitely we need to remember that, you know, innovation takes time, right? You're not going to get it right, right away. I would say we're in a really good spot right now. We've really figured out a really good model for youth engagement in our organization, but it took us four years, you know, it, it takes a lot of uh, risk taking and trial and error, really. And another huge barrier, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is preventing burnout. 
I know for myself, I burnt out really, really badly. Like I would say like a year and a half ago, I really had to take a step away from the work. So I think that, you know, when the work that we do is really part of who we are, right, the lines can get easily blurred. So um, it's so important that the work that we do has, is sustainable. And so it's really important that we pace ourselves and that we also create spaces of love and support in activist communities. Because I also know that I've been in a lot of activist spaces that are really toxic. They actually replicate a lot of the toxic and oppressive power dynamics that, I, that we see outside of those spaces too, right? So, you know, for me... Um, it's being able to recognize that and step away when necessary. I remember when I was younger, I thought I had to die for the cause, you know, especially I think being Tamil, right? Uh, I think, uh, you know, after everything that our community has gone through with genocide and uh, trying to just sustain our our livelihoods, um, a lot of it is about existence and we resist in so many different ways. So I think it's super, super important that, you know, we prioritize health above all. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that is definitely something that we need to prioritize. Um, I'm also curious in terms of health, like, are there tips that you have based on your experience? Um, you mentioned experiencing burnout yourself. Are there tips and tricks that you've learned along the way that have been helpful? Um, so you've noted that like having a strong community around you and ensuring you create spaces for that. Uh, but anything else that's come up that other youth might find helpful for them? Yeah. Number one, take a break. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's a huge sense of guilt around not doing enough or not doing anything, right? I know for sure that I felt that, but we have to remember that's because there's a capitalist structure that tells us that, you know, our value is based on our productivity and how much we were outputting, right? Um and so we really need to challenge that and we need to recognize how we are participating in that. So when you feel yourself starting to feel exhausted mentally, physically, and not enjoying the, the work that you do anymore, it's a time to take a break. Step back and, you know, just rest. A lot of doctors, when it comes to like depression, what they say is, you know, exercise, right? They say, keep active. And I think that goes against what is actually beneficial for a lot of communities. Like I know, like, you know, for generations, my mom and, you know, generations before that, they have been moving nonstop. So what I need to do is not move, but actually stop and breathe and relax. But actually what I need to do is stop moving and just uh, take that time to slow down. So that's one of the best tips that I, I would give. And, and make sure that you have people around you um, who can hold you accountable when they see that, you know, your light is starting to fade and that they, they can support you during that time. The big difference, I think, especially in racialized communities for self-care versus community care. And that for us, self-care looks like community care. We don't have the luxury to like take a bath and like be that be the be all and end all of our stress, right? Um, and so I think that's really important what you said about like this generational knowledge and generational ideology of like what people were doing beforehand to create like culturally appropriate ways that we can care for one another and care for ourselves. Um, so I think that's really important that you're doing that and that's a great tip for others to have. Has there been anything, given that we are currently living in a global pandemic, that is not near the end in sight at this point, but have there been ways that you and Light have been mobilizing um, in terms of either taking care of yourself 
um, and figuring out how to do that while we're in a pandemic like this. Yeah, so uh, currently we're running a fellowship program that's a yearly fellowship program for young people. And so we've transitioned that online and we've continued to provide spaces for rich conversations on different topics and, uh, you know, everything going on. There's a lot of inequities that are being exposed and, you know, heightened during this time. So discussing those and creating a space for young people to understand what's going on. Uh, but also the young people and the fellows are actually organizing uh, initiatives on their own. So I know right now we've been running a tutoring program. That is some ways that actually any listeners uh, listening on to this podcast, if they do want to get involved, they can sign up to be a tutor for a tutoring program because, you know, there's no schooling right now. And so, you know, being able to fill in this gap is super essential, especially because a lot of racialized Young people, for a different amount of reasons, are already behind uh, in school. And so to be able to fill in this gap is really important. But also our fellows are putting on a bunch of other events as well for community care that's engaging. I know there's an event happening around art and uh, looking at gender. And there's another event around mental health. So, you know, the fellows are really trying to transition and provide uh, opportunities for young people to learn and engage in community care online. So um, if they want to get involved, they can look at our um, Instagram, which is at lightcommunity underscore, or they can go check out our website at www.lightcommunity.org. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of people would be interested, especially with summer fast approaching for those in high school and younger. We've talked a little bit about the challenges that you faced and how that has transitioned now into the period of time that we're experiencing with COVID-19. But what are some of the most fulfilling things about doing this work? I think the most fulfilling thing is seeing the development of, you know, young people become becoming confident in their own abilities and then seeing them navigate society in a more meaningful way and taking positive risks to benefit their own and community goals, right? So I've seen like hundreds and hundreds of youth over the years and their entire journeys from the beginning till the end. I think that is the most fulfilling part to be able to see that we're actually making tangible impact to see, you know, our first light alumni who like graduated quote unquote in uh, 2016 and seeing them the work that they're doing they're continuing to do today is incredible right we want to engage people who are not already engaged in social justice sometimes these spaces can be elitist sometimes the language itself is a barrier and so bringing young people who we're never engaged in this kind of work and bringing them into this space and making it a welcoming and safe space for them to you know fail and get back up and try. I think that's the best part, right? Like seeing that personal development in the young people that uh, we work with, but also then seeing them serve their communities, right? Like whether it's running, like we, you know, we ran like dozens of camps for refugee and newcomer families. So seeing those camps come alive um, and uh, just a lot of the different work that we have done. I think that's uh, the best part, being able to witness this work and know that, you know, me as a racialized young woman, you know, I feel so honored that a lot of young people believed in my vision and, uh, you know, joined our organization. That's incredible. I think it's really, for me as well, like the inspiration comes from when you kind of accomplish what it is um, that you never had access to yeah. as a kid. Um, or as a young person, or things that didn't exist until you were able to create them. And I think it's really incredible how far you've brought light um, at such a young age, especially, um, and how accomplished the organization is and all the good work that you're doing in your community. You are headed into your fourth year of university. What does light look like in the future for you? 
Um, so I've already, you know, back in uh, November 2019, I already stepped away from the executive director role and uh, we had a new person take over. Her name is Caitlin Wang and she's a student at University of Toronto. So, you know, she's been continuing that work. And while I serve on a more advisory side and helping them uh, navigate strategic uh, issues with the organization in the future, you know, we've already had a lot of conversation uh, with I've already had a lot of conversations with the current in the current executive team around what do we want to do and essentially our you know our biggest goal is to be able to um, have this um, like our model of youth engagement which is super super unique have this information be accessible online right whether this is a guide or providing webinars and being able to let young people all around the world implement our model of youth engagement and essentially have their own mini light chapters anywhere in the world that they want and to be able to have some resources on how they can navigate you know all the challenges that they face when it comes to uh, meaningful youth engagement whether it's uh, the funding or whether it's accessing space or mentorship or getting adults on boards uh, to be allies and having their voice actually meaningful meaningfully heard in policy and on a more structural level so we really want to see this our model for youth engagement implemented worldwide essentially that sounds amazing, and I'm sure you'll get there. Um, one thing that you noted that I think might be really helpful to chat about as well is that you talked about burnout earlier, and you mentioned you stepped away um, and have now kind of passed the reins on to somebody else um, while remaining involved. Do you have any advice for other founders, young founders, uh, myself included, <laughs> who um, either age out of the youth work that they're doing or decide that they need to take a break or have moved on to other um, other opportunities in their life, et cetera, yeah. um, on how to kind of let go for one um, <laughs> and give up that control um, and two, to, uh, to see the vision, I guess, that others will have for your organization um, and be supportive of it and kind of watch like this thing that you've built um, move on. Uh, yeah, super difficult question. I mean, we had an event last year, basically the launch of our, you know, the 2.0 version of Light. And, uh, you know, that's also when I was talking about passing on the torch and I was bawling on stage. <laughs> like, I was so, it's your baby. You know, if you're the founder of an organization, you've put in, like, I can't even imagine how many hours and years of my life I put into this work, right? So to pass that on and uh, to, you know, believe that somebody else can do it is a really hard thing. But, you know, the work is not about us, right? Like, we know that uh, when we're in, in involved in this space. So being able to adapt to the visions of other young people is at the core of what we do. Um, and, you know, while it may look different and while it may be delivered differently, of course, it's going to be that way, right? Nobody's going to do something the way that you do it. And that's what makes each of us unique. We bring something really different to the table. What I try to, the stance that I try to take on is to remember that, you know, um, the work is still going to continue. And while it may look different and why maybe it delivered differently, as long as we find somebody who can maintain the integrity of the organization and who has the ability to commit and everything else that you're looking for, you should believe in them. For me, you know, 
the person that we took on was already part of our programming and we, she's already been through uh, leadership positions within our organization. So I think like mentorship is super important as well, right? Within the organization. Um, you know, there was, you know, we, ha- we had young people on our team, you know, who are in grade seven. So <laughs> starting really young with, uh, who we are mentoring and building them up uh, so that maybe one day that they can take over this organization or take over um, and take huge leadership roles within this organization or other organizations. So I think mentorship is super important. Creating that space uh, to build that capacity for the future is super important. We have to start investing right now in uh, younger leaders. I think that's great advice. Thank you for that. It's been amazing to see and hear about all of the wonderful things that you've been doing and about all the work Light is doing in the community and the investment that you've put in yourself and that the organization has put in in terms of engaging youth and also this peer mentorship that you've noted, I think, is a really good takeaway for a lot of people to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Where can people follow you? I know you mentioned some of um, Light's social media accounts. Uh, but is there anywhere that folks can get in touch with you or any other opportunities that might come up that they can check out? Uh, so people can reach me on Twitter at Jathusha Mahin, uh, J-A-T-H-U-S-H-A-M-A-H-E-N, uh, or they can uh, check out my website at www.jathushamahain.com. And that's a space for them to connect with me and we can uh, talk about anything they want to. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining. This is fantastic. This is awesome. Thank you so much.